Okay, welcome back everybody to the podcast, Hope, Surviving the Loss of Suicide. John and I are both here today and our topic of the week is probably my most favorite topic. Uh, It's anger because it's my favorite because I lived in it for such a long period of time. And many people who lose somebody to suicide also live in anger for long periods of time. Some people, however, don't feel a lot of anger and some people live more in grief and regret. So whatever you are feeling, that's definitely okay because we all deal with loss differently. Um, Just to open up, we're going to start with a question. I'm going to ask it to John. Have you ever felt anger after the loss of your son? Oh, good morning, everyone. Anger. There's another topic of different degrees, depending on the people. Yeah, I felt, I felt a lot of, I felt a lot of different kinds of anger throughout the this journey, very different, put on different people, put on different situations, angry at myself, angry on a lot of different levels. I, one thing though I can say for sure is that I was never angry at my son for, for what he did. I never, I never put that anger on him. I was angry at, I was angry at suicide. I was angry at grief. I was angry at the lack of understanding. I was, I was angry at people around me. I was angry at the loss. And, and, and that's another completely different topic, another multitude of levels of what kind of loss, how much loss. The one thing that I found interesting with grief was that you couldn't get depressed and be angry at the same time. At least for me, I was being depressed about it was one moment. Being angry about it was another. So, yeah, it was very... It was, it was very interesting. It was a very interesting emotion to comprehend, to navigate through. Okay, for me, I felt immediate anger. This was somewhere I lived probably for the first year after my dad took his life. I guess one of the biggest feelings was abandonment, which made me feel angry. So my dad and I were very close. And I knew he was severely ill. I knew he was sick. We had many conversations about him feeling sick and he knew my fears of him taking his own life and because we had such an open dialogue about it i think that's even why there was more anger on top of of him taking his life it just didn't make sense to me i would talk to him about how much i loved him i would talk to him about how he needed to be around for us i would talk to him about you know all the things that would go wrong if he wasn't around to protect us anymore and he still did it anyways. So I needed to function. I needed to go to university. I planned his funeral. I owned the house that he had and I had to be a landlord. And I just knew I could function in anger because you can't function in sad. Sad doesn't let you do a lot of things, but anger can propel you to do 101 different things in a day and be a productive human. But being sad wouldn't let me do that. So I think I just innately chose chose anger. There's so many things like I would drive by the cemetery and it wouldn't even give him the satisfaction of going visiting. I would just flip him the middle finger as I drove by because he needed to know I was mad, but he didn't deserve the respect of me going in there to visit. I mean, after a year and a half, I knew that was a ridiculous thing for me to do, but in the moment it didn't feel ridiculous. It felt felt authentic. It felt real. And it felt like that's what I needed to do in that moment. And luckily I had a really great counselor who recognized 
you're a super angry little girl right now and you need to work out. You have to go to the gym every day for half an hour and you need to, you have to work out every day for half an hour to get all your anger out. So I would go at 5.30 in the morning, I'd work out for an hour and get all my angry workout done. And then I felt like I could function as a human being for the rest of the day. And then after an entire year of working out, I went to the gym and I tried to work out and then I had a really tough time working out because I realized after a year, I wasn't angry anymore. I was just sad. And that made it even harder. Being sad was in a much, much more difficult place than, than anger. Well, and there's, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that, and it's, it's normal. It's, it's, it's difficult. It can be painful, but it's not uncommon to hear a lot of people be angry with the individual who took their life for what has been left behind the hurt that's been left behind that the families, the friends, the situations, the lives that have been shattered, altered, because of the the event, I, I myself I could never I never felt that towards my son. I never felt angry towards him again. Like I said earlier, I I was angry at, at suicide. I was angry at the lack of understanding of it. I was like I was angry at the medical profession that didn't seem to help enough for him. I was angry at people not understanding. I was I was angry and come full circle almost. It's you know over uh, you know over three years now since. We lost Zach. I am probably at my most angry period of my time now because the way that the family has grown, became stronger, mastered certain coping skills. I know my wife, Zach's mom's gotten way better. She's made leaps and bounds in her recovery from traumatic grief, suffering with you know PTSD because of it. I am just beside myself in anger for what's gone. Looking for joy, happiness, the insatiable appetite of grief, what it takes from you, how it alters, being able to sit down now and self-reflect on your new life and your new challenges. It's, I'm just as, I'm more angry now. And maybe it's because it's a different kind of anger. It's changed, but it's just... I'm just so oh, I just holding back some nasty words that I'd like to use, but it's just that I'm probably the angriest I am now about you know what suicide does and 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 the um, and the devastation it leaves behind. How my life is has changed and how you know I I'd be quite happy going back to the way it was the day before Zach took his life. But again, that's something that can't be changed. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a long journey. So do you think that your, your anger can be, can you pinpoint it to be angry towards a certain thing exactly, or a certain person like throughout your journey of the past three years? Is there some exact thing that you're angry at suicide, but is there more that you're angry at or a specific, specific people along the way? There's, there's, it's it, again, it's, it's, there's a lot of levels to it. And yes, and there, you've touched on a lot of good points there. There are certain people that I'm angry at that I've limited my association with, uh, isolating myself from them because they just, it's not good for, for where I am right now. I'm angry at situations. There are certain people that took advantage of Zach's passing. They, they manipulated the uh, situation to benefit them. I'm angry at that. Uh, I guess the, the big thing, and to be honest and to be honest with myself, is that I'm angry at, 
I am angry at me. I'm angry at me for allowing, or how did I allow this to change my life so much? That's what I'm angry at. I can't believe that I allowed so many parts of my life to be affected, altered because of this. But do you think that you actually had that option? Because it's trauma. You've lost a son. This is pure trauma. So how how can you control that? I mean, I know you're a man and you're tough. And well, I think that's you have that exterior, but you can't control I think all your emotions. Of, I and think feelings. that that as a human being, I think as a as a human being, we like to be in control. Control is yeah. comfortable. Control is eliminating surprises. We like things to be on a nice constant level for the most part. So yes, I'm sure there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot that plays into it. Being a man, my profession in public service to be in control, to take control of the situation. And I, I did a lot of that in taking care of my family when we were transitioning through one stage to another. And this is all part and parcel of, of the journey is that my family, my my closest loved ones, don't require my assistance in their in their daily lives, in their functioning. They they have gotten stronger and been able to to like again to utilize the tools that they learn in coping to continue on with their life. That their life grow will grow now, learn how to grow it around what happened. And now I'm forced because there isn't these external things now to keep me busy for me to focus on the control or the fixing or the manipulating, whatever I needed to do is that now I'm stuck to take care of me. And you forgot to do that. And I forgot to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I didn't, you know, I, the last thing I wanted to do was look in the mirror. Um, and so there's a lot of anger of what I have, what I've allowed over time to have. So as a friend of yours, I'm going to say, I think you should be gentle on yourself because you did what you thought was right. You took care of everybody else. And that's what you, that's your personality. And that's who you are as a husband and as a dad, that's who you are. You're just this generous person with this beautiful soul and you're taking care of everybody else. And now you realize everyone else is doing okay. You're like, Oh wait, I forgot to pick myself up along the way. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, and it's not fun. It's not fun because it's, um, now you gotta look in the mirror. You gotta look in the mirror and along with whatever, you know, the, the kind words that you said, Sherilyn, about there's also, there's also a dark side. There's also a dark side of, of this journey. You know, there is, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. I, yeah, you know, I, I, I did, I indulged, I indulged in my taking care of myself during certain periods of time was, uh, you know, using a lot of alcohol to cope through the day. Am I proud of that? No, but I look back at it. Do I feel that I should have been, you know, a stronger person in regards to, to that? Yeah, maybe. Am I, did I go through it? Am, am I out of it? Am I, yeah, I am. It's just, yeah, it's just, I just, ex I expected, I guess the thing is I expected more out of myself. I expected, I, I thought I was just, I wouldn't, I thought I'd be further along this journey that I am now, <clears throat> but it's, uh, I'm angry. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not, I'm not guilty. I'm just angry that I, I had different expectations for myself. I had different 
And I keep on saying, I said this at the beginning, don't put timelines on, don't put expectations on yourself, you know, because they're all, they're, they will do nothing but beat you down. And, and I'm speaking from experience. Yes, they do, because I did that. What I told you not to do is what I did to myself. So... And how's that working out? It's not working out. It's, <laughs> it's not easy. It, it's it's not easy. But again, you know, it's it's hard to be depressed when you're angry. And and there's some days where it's it feels it's it's easier to be angry than it is to battle the loneliness and the and the sadness. It's it's sometimes it's it's energizing to be angry. There are days that I can get more done being angry than I can you know wallowing in my own sorrow. Can clean a whole house. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can do a lot sometimes when you're angry, but it's 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 complicated, and and people have different anger towards different people and different levels of anger. There are a lot of instances where relationships, a husband and wives, parents with other siblings, with with their kids, that they fall apart because of anger. They, you know, one blames another. One's not. One's not grieving enough. They're angry at the other person because they don't grieve or they don't understand or they can't believe they said this or, you know, I'm angry that these people are moving on and I'm still stuck here. And, and there's, there's just, it's complicated. It's again, it's another one. It's when people say that this is a complicated journey, it's, it's I don't think that word is, gives it enough justice or gives it enough authority in that. This is, it's, it's a, it's a mystery wrapped up in a, enigma absolutely i remember being my anger was directed basically at everybody there wasn't anybody that was excluded from my anger zone so i was in university and when i was in class i remember sitting in class one day and it's probably october and i'm just so frustrated i'm getting lawyers calling me and real estate agents calling me and i gotta deal with all this crap but i gotta go to school and i saw this couple sitting across from me and they were just cute and they were flirting with each other and there was nothing else I wanted more to get up and punch them both in the face. I'm like, how dare you be so angry? I was mad at people's happy. I was mad at people's angry. I just didn't even want to be around anybody. But being 19, being in university, nobody, I felt like nobody was in my position because I would ha- I would like to say not very many people are in this position at my age having to like run the show and be a 40 year old and all those things. So I was mad at my dad for bestowing all this on me. I was mad at my mom because I let her come to the lawyers with me once and I was frustrated with the lawyer and my mom said, well, you know who to blame for this. So not only am I mad at my dad for for taking his life, now I'm mad at my mom for blaming the person I was already mad at. Yeah. So there's so many layers. I'm like, how dare you? You can't be mad at him. I'm mad at him. But then I'm protecting him because she's putting the blame on somebody who's sick. Even though I knew he was sick, it doesn't mean I want someone else to blame the person who's sick even i just felt we had such a close relationship my dad and i that i felt you, you had a right to be angry at his sickness but nobody else did like 100 percent. our relationship was unique yeah. it was different right but i remember with this one interesting story i had to um my dad had license plates on this trailer he owned and i it was one of the last things i had to do i need to go to the motor vehicle office and the my dad's will was written on three hole punch paper and then he wrote me a specific letter about what I should do and what, where I needed to, you know, I needed to sell his house. I needed to sell his car. I needed to do things with, you know, certain items in his house. But the lawyer had to attach that to the will because it had all the details and they ended up getting that passed through the court system. And so I had to take this letter with the death certificate everywhere I went so that I can prove that I was the executor and, and I had the right to do this because here I am, this young person. Most people wouldn't even 
do anything for me. I had to explain it all. Well, this guy took my dad's letter that was attached to the will or the death certificate too, walked over and started reading this letter out loud in the, in the middle of the motor vehicle place. And the whole place was packed. And I'd only read this letter once. And I had said like, I'm not reading this letter again. It's like talking to my dead dad. It's too much. I emotionally, I can't handle this. And I heard this man reading my dad's words and like a bomb went off in my head and I ran like it was a force this, I ran across the motor vehicle place and I looked at this guy I go do you know what you're reading and he looks at me and I go that is the letter from my dad who killed himself I'm like you can keep that in your mouth I'm like you can read it but do not say it out loud and he just looked at me like he had no idea why I was so angry but that's where anger comes from it's like these little bits of trauma along the way and I found that I would try to protect myself as much as I could so somebody said, hey, let's go to this movie. And I was like, okay, great. Let's go see this movie. And it was about, it had Nicolas Cage in it and a daughter. And I didn't even know what it was about. But I learned my lesson after this movie. I went and it was about a dad and a daughter. And it was this really cute relationship bond they had. It was kind of, I don't know how to say it. It was, the boundaries kind of crossed each other. Kind of like my dad and I. We were more like friends. And I knew things. I probably shouldn't have known about my dad in a, a father-daughter relationship. But I just did. And that was kind of like their relationship. And, and he was kind of a hot mess. And I'm just bawling the whole time in the movie. And I didn't tell anybody beside me. And I have like ugly cry. And I'm trying to ugly cry quietly. And then my counselor said, why would you sit through that? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, you're allowed to get up and leave. And I thought, oh, I thought that would be rude. She's like, why would you sit through that? So then I learned the lesson that I have to read the back of the movie or whatever, or watch the trailer before I go to the movie theater now, because if not, I'm going to end up being angry at everything all the time and put myself through more trauma. But that was, that was kind of, I was just angry at everything. Do you, sorry. No, no, I, I, I get that. I was, I was, I was, it was, I was more angry. I was more angry to the people that were closest to me oh, than yeah. the people that were the furthest because I call it selfish, call it whatever. I had thought that through this event falsely, inappropriately, I had kind of placed expectations on certain people's behavior what they did what they said and those expectations for the most part were not met it seemed that these complete strangers these people that were just you know a casual acquaintance or work or you know uh, very limited no uh, interaction with like were coming out of the woodwork and standing up and doing this and doing that and going this is all this is all backwards why aren't these people closest to me that have known, you know, me for most of my life, and you know, how come they're? And I don't know if it was the situation, the uncomfortableness of, of the event of suicide and, and whatnot. I don't know if that was the issue, but it, that just that just that was another level of aim. People saying things that because they just they just didn't know uh, how to say things. Oh, and, people said the worst things at the you know, funeral. And I know that they weren't trying to be hurtful, but they were just. Some things could be used in one instance were are totally inappropriate for another, and, and it was just really like my favorite was when someone said, well, "Why did he kill himself?" I'm like, "Because he was bored." Like, number one, that's not an appropriate question to ask somebody at a funeral. Why did he kill himself? I know you're curious, but that's kind of rude. And people would just say things that 
Well, a lot of people said, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. And I would say, well, you didn't do it because I was so mad at him that I, I, I wanted everyone to know that well, he did this, not you. So don't apologize. Oh. But that was me. I just really hated the phrase. Oh, no, no, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, you know, recently, since my sister passed away, I've learned, I've learned how to deal with people and what, why people say things they do. And at 19, I didn't. I didn't know how to facilitate those comments and how to respond properly. I knew after Shannon died, my sister, I said to my mom, listen, there's going to be a lot of people at the funeral who are going to say some really dumb stuff. So I'm going to prepare you on how to deal with really dumb stuff. I always say to them in my head, oh, that's really sad that they have peanut brain because they clearly are saying something. Well, a lot of people, you can tell when they're sincere and they're kind and you're like, okay, like clearly you're trying to be kind. But then there's some people who say ridiculous things that you just can't even fathom how somebody would walk up to somebody who just lost their kid or their sister or their dad and say something. And I just said to my mom, those are people who have pet brains. And instead of being angry, just feel bad for them that they're in a situation that they don't know how to facilitate. But I had to make it comical or I don't think my mother would have survived. And I'm like, and if somebody's saying silly stuff, come and get me and I'm going to deal with them. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do the, the, the trying to make it comical, beating up on any belief, religion, or anything like that. But there were certain comments that, that were just out there that, that did not bring any peace or comfort in any way. They, they were actually just throwing salt on the wound, you know. Oh. Some, some of my favorites were, oh, it's, it's, he's in a better place. That's a bad one. Okay, he's in a better place. That one there, that, that was a good one. At least he's not suffering. There's some truth to that. Yeah, that's some there's truth. some truth to that. I know Christine thinks that. Though. Yeah, there's some truth to that. <laughs> God won't give you something that you can't handle. Really, God gave that oh, something though, right? Yeah, and thanks. My dad. Yeah, I'm glad that that's. Uh, I'd rather be very meek then, because then I wouldn't have had this bestowed onto me. There's that. Uh, Zach wasn't my my biological son, so I had somebody remind me that. Well, at least he wasn't yours. That was a good one. That, that, that doesn't a, make anything better, though. That was that was a good one. That that was good, supposed to bring me some peace or comfort. So there were a lot of you know we had a lot of speed bumps thrown in front of us through this beginning of the journey. And time will heal. That's another one. Time will heal. Time will heal. Yeah. And then as time went on, you would get some comments of, "Oh, you're you're still not." Like as if we were supposed to, you know, after a certain date, this after a certain, you know, flip the calendar. Oh, it's this day. Okay, everything's better. Let's let's move on. Let's go back to how things were. There's no going back to how things were. Though things were, and that's why they're that's the way they were because they'll never be like that again. Well, and that's what we talked about in our last podcast, right? I said how much of you is the same, and you said fifteen percent, and I said ten percent because you know you're never going to be the same person. Your thought process is never going to be the same. Your outlook on life is never going to be the same. Things you cared about. If you really liked fancy shoes before and you like going to buy fancy outfits, maybe you don't like that stuff anymore because you realize the material stuff didn't matter as much as you thought because somebody in your life matters more than those things. Well, you just your whole list for me, the whole list, the priority list of life, you know, goals and dreams. Like even that, that, you know, I start thinking about that angry you know all these plans future plans you know getting close to retirement what are goals dreams this and that gone erased because they don't fit the the program right now and and we don't even know what the program is 
because it's you know a, a lifelong journey of planning all this stuff for you know when 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 we get to here when we get to there and then quickly blink of an eye all those plans are erased and you have to start from fresh well i don't have i don't have another 50 years to build up to these i gotta i gotta come up with a plan now and the plan at the beginning is surviving surviving this you know and and where are we going to be in a week you know a month two years now grateful very i'm very very grateful you know that's one thing that i've been able to um separate you know happiness and being grateful i'm very grateful i'm if you had asked me two years ago if if our family would be doing as well as they're doing now my wife looking you know right on the cusp of going back into the workforce of course is the, the the amount of work and effort that she's put in you know my daughter and and how we've all been able to stay together and grow as a family into helping each other get through this i would have never ever expected it so am i grateful for the the degree that we are at now absolutely uh, there's a lot of things that i'm grateful for eh, happiness and eh, not so much but i can differentiate between the two so it's 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 weird it's 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 a it's a journey and i the people that are starting this i i hope the people that are not i hope the people that are into this those who are listening that are into this three four ten fifteen years maybe longer i hope it makes sense i hope th- those are some of the things that, that you've got that you've experienced the ones that are that are new to this a, a lot of the feelings that you're going to feel now a month a week a year from now it's 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 normal it's normal it's normal to be mad at them it's normal not to be mad at them it's there, there's no there's no owner's manual to this there's no directory on how to do it what comes next where it comes from how long it's going to last it, that that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks one of the biggest hurdles with this is that there's no there's no guideline whatsoever there's no table of contents well when we do group together and we say there's 10 people in the room maybe maybe half of them have felt guilt and regret and the other half didn't have a whole lot of it but some of them maybe four people felt anger as one of their stronger mm. stronger feelings and that's okay right because for me feeling guilty that i couldn't save my dad wasn't something that i felt for very long it was kind of maybe i felt a little guilty for a day and then i'm like well i did everything i tried everything I'm his kid. I did what I could, but I really had no tools in life to get him the help he needed. And I don't even know if they were out at that point. People just didn't talk about all the resources that were out then, but I knew I tried my best, but anger. Oh yeah. Anger and anger altered for me over the past 17 years. It wasn't the same. I mean, initially I was with my husband, we were dating then and I would, I would pick a fight with him on the phone from university. And at the end of the fight, he would be like, well, I don't understand why you're mad about this, this, and this. I kind of would make up something. I didn't even know I was doing it. And at the end of the fight, I would just start crying about my dad. And then I talked to my counselor. She's like, yeah, you really need to stop doing that. And I recognized what I was doing, but he was such a good guy that he was a little confused, but he understood what was happening. And thankfully, he's a really calm and kind gentleman that, recognize that I just didn't know how to get my anger out. And I didn't know how to say, Hey, I'm really, I'm really mad at my dad, but my dad's not here. So I can't be mad at him. So you're the next best thing because 
you're equally, you know, as close as I was with him and you're my person and he's, he's not here for me to be mad at him. So I'm going to be mad at you. And unfortunately for that individual, they are the ones that we trust. They are the ones that we feel comfortable and, and releasing these feelings and, this is this is all part of the, the, the dynamics of, of couples and friends and families staying together is, is the other person understanding where that's coming from. It's not an attack on on me per se or on you per se or on your husband. It was it was me venting. I have to. There's there's nothing that's comfortable. There's nothing that feels safe anymore. And and this is the only thing that I I feel safe. I feel safe with this individual that you know that they understand that they try to understand. And and, and it's tough. And, and it's very, very, it, it's very tough. And it's, um, yeah, it's the anger, the, the anger to sometimes be people would get angry just because that was the only feeling that they could feel other than grief. So to be constantly grieving, to change it to anger for a second or for five minutes it's a relief. It's a relief. And there's people that, you know, Sherry then was angry for a long time and guilty for a short period of time. And the vice versa happens. There's people that live a lifetime of guilt with a very short period of anger. And it's it's all based on the relationship that one had with the individual that's gone. So, again, two people, a mother, a father, sisters, whoever, brothers, having a relationship with the individual that died passed. Um, the grief is different. The anger is different. The regret is different. The confusion is different. Even though it's the same individual because our relationships with that individual were different. Well, and our responses are different our too, right? How is your coping strategies? Yeah. Do you have coping strategies? Have you ever lost somebody before? All of those things could be very new to an individual, regardless of what type of loss. But if you've never experienced any loss, and then you have to go and deal with a big traumatic loss like this, you don't know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. And it's just how your body and your brain responds to trauma, too. I mean, some people have really good coping strategies, and some people don't, and that's okay. But then you have to go and go to a counselor and figure out what are really good coping strategies for me. And it's trial and error. you got to figure out, okay, for me, working out at the gym, amazing. Anytime I'm angry, I go and work out now in my basement. And I'm a much nicer mom after I work out. And my kids know that. Okay. My husband will say to me, you're having a tough day. You think you need to go work out? I'm like, thanks, babe. That means you think I'm a big B word today. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my coping strategy. But some people, they need to watch a TV show just to calm down, zen out, get away from you know, their reality. Some people, they like swimming. Some people like knitting. Some people like going out with their girlfriends and having a glass of wine. Whatever it is, it needs to be fulfilling to you and it needs to help you get through whatever you're going through in that moment. It's very individual, just like John and I are extremely different people. And and that's okay because we I learned from him through his loss and he learns from me through my loss. And we pick up something in like in, in every group that the, the people are different in every single group. And as the as the weeks go on within the group, pick up new 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 strategies. New didn't understand that. Didn't you know? We, I learned just as much in a group as as hopefully everybody else does. Uh, numerous times in a group, I've had individuals come up to me and say, I, "I you know it's been so many months or it's been a year or whatever. I haven't got angry yet." 
you know, is, is that okay? You know, like they're, they're asking like as if something's wrong with them because they haven't gotten angry yet. Your level of anger is going to be different. When it comes, it'll come. When it, when it rears its ugly head, it'll be when it's time for it to do so. Just like some people will, will experience more guilt than anger. Uh, it's, it's very individual. Will it come out? Eventually, some degree, to some level, about something, it's going to come out. Be it, could be again, you know, towards the individual, could be towards family members, could be towards situation, doctors, whoever. But usually some part of it, some form of it will come out. And you might not recognize it because I think people are thinking, oh, I'm going to have anger towards my loved one. But if not always towards your loved one. Like John wasn't angry towards Zach, but he had anger other places Like you did. You definitely oh, yeah. had anger other All places. Kinds. And I think looking back, cause I love anger is good. Cause it makes me spunky, but my anger, like maybe three or four years after my dad died, I had zero anger towards him. Instead, I felt so much empathy and I thought, oh my gosh, I could not have woken up every day feeling like the way he felt and faced the world. I can't imagine what he went through. So I had so much empathy towards what he was going through. However, seven year, 17 years down the road, I'm doing advocacy work. I'm looking at, well, how can we change, you know, hospitalization for people who are sick? What can we do to help people who are dealing with mental health crises, how do we get more awareness out? What can we do to better our system? Because it's seriously flawed. And my anger comes from also people's lack of understanding and knowledge of mental illness. So I have to take a step back and deliver my message eloquently so people hear what I'm saying. And I, my thing is I try to educate people and I try to do it with love and with kindness. But deep down inside, I'm still angry that people don't understand this illness is serious and it's going to come back and bite people in the butt. One in four people are affected by mental illness. And that could be somebody in your family. It could be a friend. It could be a grandparent or a parent. And you're going to feel the ripple effects of mental illness in your lifetime. So it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And that's where getting the stigma away from it is where my main focus is now. And that's where my anger comes from is I want to push to, to make a change because I think it needs to happen. Well, I see it has to happen. Uh, unfortunately, it just you know, it, it just doesn't happen fast enough. No. And there's still a number of, there's a number of roadblocks that still prevent people from asking for help. The mental illness itself will prevent somebody from asking for help because they don't feel safe. They feel threatened, paranoia, depending on the condition. And they, and they, They'll never reach out for help and asking them if they want help can sometimes be, you know, a negative result because they don't trust you. They don't trust the situation because they're not well. And there's a lot, there's a lot of work. There's, there's a lot of, we've come a long way, but I think looking out the back, the rearview mirror compared to looking out the front windshield, we still have way further to go than how far we've come. Is it a start? Yes. You posted something on Facebook not long ago. It was about a mental health walking clinic? Is it Niagara? Yes. Okay, so that blew my mind. And we don't have anything like that in Durham, do we? No. Not hopefully one day, but not yet. But that blew my mind. I thought, this is great. This is what we need. This is what every place needs, is a walking clinic for mental health. Because when the people walk through the ER, they're like, great, frequent flyer, been here before. And it's different. The, the nurses are not necessarily trained specifically. They have a small course in mental health, like my one of my best friends teaches a mental health course for nurses, 
and she teaches community. Her thing is all community, but there's a small portion of mental health. And I come in and I talk to the nursing students about mental health and tell my dad's story. And basically I'm trying to destigmatize mental health mm-hmm. and talk about, you know, my dad was a person and he had five kids and this was his name. His name was Mario. And he was loving and he was kind and yeah, he was sick and he had bipolar disorder. And sometimes he was super friggin' angry. And that was the reality of my life up and down, up and down, up and down. And that was his reality, but that wasn't all of who he was. He was a person. He wasn't just, Oh, room C bipolar. No, that guy's name is Mario. And yeah, he's having a really crummy time in life. And that's not his whole life. It's just a part of who he is. It's not all of who, who he is. But sometimes the people who are working in these fields, they get destigmatized. Is that the right word? That's not the right word. They get desensitized. They that's get what the, I want to say. They get desensitized because they see people who come in all the time where we need a facility, a walk-in place. So somebody with a mental health crisis can walk in there and they're not put with people who have broken femurs and they have kids who are vomiting. It's not the same. You can't put that under the same umbrella. That's a physical illness hospital. You need a place where people can go and walk in for their mental health. And it's not, it's not good for the patient. And it's not good for the hospital because now you're taxing an emergency facility. And not to say that mental illness is not an emergency or it can, or that it can escalate to an emergency, but if the, the facility is not equipped properly to deliver the proper care with specialists for, for, for mental illness, where if you had a facility where dealt with mental illness, that everything was geared for mental illness like really like an emergency room in a hospital is a catch-all for every single thing that can possibly happen to a human being that you know is going to be life-threatening and then some so to have a facility where won't be taxed or the individuals won't put a an additional burden on a facility where that they're not properly equipped to handle. Uh, there isn't the staff, there isn't the room, there isn't the time or the training or the training to, to, to handle it properly. And you know, I would be better for everybody, you know, for, for patient, for physicians, for caregivers, for families. And it, it's going to be interesting to see what the numbers, because it's all going to be based on statistics. That's how things move forward to see what's with this new facility as a walk-in clinic for mental health to see how the numbers show if it's it a positive, if it's a good idea, if it's not a good idea, what can be tweaked to make it better, or it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, and it's a step forward, for sure. You need more of those. We definitely need more. And I think it's just going to take I, – I mean, as a person who's living in a community where mental health is becoming an epidemic, I mean, from somebody who's lost two people, three people from mental illness – I would, I would pay extra taxes to have that facility around because that's meaning the people who are physically ill are going to get help quicker at the hospital. And the people who have mental health crisis right now, maybe it's their medicine that's not working. Maybe they need to change it. Well, they can go to a mental health walking clinic to get some of those things adjusted instead of sitting for six, seven, eight hours in the hospital where they might not even go because the wait time is too big and they get shuffled at the front door. So hopefully it does make a positive effect that bigger changes happen. And that's where, you know, like, you know, I were talking, that's where my biggest anger is right now, not having enough support coming. And I'm a teacher. I see a lot of kids in school struggling with mental health. That that worries me, the world that they live in right now and the lack of help that there is. And to catch them younger, the younger, the better, right? Absolutely. The younger, the better. It, there, it's, um, yes, be, before it, it, some of these, 
afflictions can uh, really uh, get their claws into the individual if we can learn it, get them to understand it, get the individual to understand it, get get the proper medications, treatments, therapies, help these people through their days. We'll, we'll make them more productive, we'll make them happier, we'll make them, you know, it's a better lifestyle. The end result is, the goal is the end result is going to be much more positive as opposed to what the alternative is. And the alternative is not great. Uh, the alternative is listening to a podcast like this. Two people with two big bosses making a podcast for a whole bunch of people in the same crappy situation, right? Yep. So Absolutely. The more we know, right? The more we know. Well. The more we share. <clears throat> we just went off on a tangent, but I love that <laughs> because when we're in group, that happens too. And uh, one thing leads to another. So. Yeah, very rarely do we start and stop a group evening on the proper topic of the evening. That's true. <laughs> very, very rarely. And very rarely is it ever within the time constraints that we place on the on the group. It always seems to go over by quite a bit. But that's good. That means that stuff's being said and stuff's being discussed. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening to Hope. And uh, we hope that you got something out of this podcast and you felt a little bit more real and you felt a connection that you were not alone. Because that is our goal for this, is that you're not dealing with this alone and you're not struggling alone and you feel like you're part of a community. Yes. Um, thank you for listening. I, like, again, uh, I hope it helps. And just remember that 99% of what you're feeling right now is... You're not the only one that's felt this. Unfortunately, you won't be the only one that will feel it. And you're not alone. There are there are many, many other people, most people that have experienced this type of trauma and grief are experiencing what you're experiencing.